Welcome to the Global Payroll Association's podcast in partnership with ADP, Women in Payroll. My name is Melanie Pitsy and I'm the CEO of the Global Payroll Association. I'm so excited to run this series of podcasts to give me the opportunity to introduce to you some of the inspirational female leaders that I've met over the last 20 years within the payroll community. My co-host today is Graham Wiley, who is the Vice President Marketing International of ADP. During our podcast, we will be discussing the highs and lows of individuals' careers and find out how they have got to where they are today. So, as they say, let's get on with the show. Hi, Graham. Hi, Mel. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Really good, really good. We've got something a little different today for the, the podcast, so really interested to, to get started. We have. We have Jenny Garrett, who is an author, coach, and a speaker on women's issues. Yeah, looking forward to the discussion. Me too. Hi, Graham. Hi, Mel. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Thanks, Jenny, uh, for coming today. Uh, thank you very much for having me. So... I think the first question, I, well, how I'd like to start the podcast really, is can you explain who you are, what you do, what your background is? Um, and I've seen that you've done some amazing work for women. Um, so if you can sort of tell us a little bit about that, that'd be great. Okay, yeah. So I'm an executive coach and author and a leadership trainer. I've been running my business for about 13 years, um, which I absolutely adore. I started off just providing coaching and then I developed into providing leadership development and then about seven years ago I wrote a book called Rocking Your Role which is a guide to success for women who are the main earner in their home so typically senior but not always um, juggling work and life um, and I wrote this book and people wanted me to speak about it I started doing so and then ended up developing programs and coaching and providing leadership development in organizations specifically for women to help them break through that glass ceiling it's recently expanded as well to um, more broader thinking about diversity as well, thinking about people from ethnic backgrounds as well and how they elevate within organisations. What was the, the thinking behind the book? What was, yeah. what was the reason for that? It was really something I stumbled upon. You know, when you're on Google, you're reading something and then you find you're reading something else and half an hour goes by. And I stumbled on this article by a woman called Rebecca Messenbeck uh, about female breadwinners. And I thought, oh, gosh, I'm one. Uh, when I decided to start my own business, the same time my husband decided to follow his passion and work with disaffected young people, uh, it's great work, but doesn't pay very much. Mm-hmm. My work ended up paying a quite considerable amount more. And this article really made me think about uh, our relationship and uh, money uh, and the role of women. Uh, and I noticed a few things. You know, you go into a restaurant with a man, um, you uh, ask for the bill. Who does the bill always go to? That poor man is <laughs> to pay um, and what do you do do you slide the credit card under the table and say oh uh, you pay and pretend you're paying or or make a joke or, or say oh it's his birthday I'm treating him and never go there again and and also some of the things um, me personally I realized there were some things I was doing we weren't having conversations about money as a couple um, I was making quite a lot of the decisions in fact um, not really consulting my husband thinking it's my money I'll do it um, uh, and also just all of the assumptions that society has around that. Um, And I realized that 
um, women and men have lots of conversations, but this is one we weren't having. Um, so I actually put a message out on social media and I said, have you been the main earner? How do you feel about it? And I had lots of messages back, but one particular woman from America uh, came back and just said, I was the main earner for three years and those were dark days in my life. Mm-hmm. And I just thought no one should feel like that. It should be something we can celebrate. Men can celebrate being the breadwinner. Why can't women? And uh, ended up thinking I'm going to do some research. I'm going to write an article, which ended up being a book uh, mm-hmm. with case studies and also my coaching experience around it so that we can all rock our many roles in life and celebrate this position. What did she say? What was the reasons or did she say what the reason was uh, why it was the darkest time for her? Yeah, I think particularly with her relationship, her, her husband found it really difficult for her to be the main earner. Um, but also for women, there is a lot of burden because if she had uh, children and you are still most often the main care person, you know, m- main caregiver when you're the main earner. Uh, and um, so it's really challenging. And often you're the main homekeeper as well. So you're often doing the majority of the housework, uh, the majority of the caregiving. Uh, and also your work is really important. So there's like this triple burden that women have to face and she didn't find it easy to cope with. So she didn't feel that they were sharing the load. And with the research and the case studies, did you find that there was a stigma attached to being a breadwinner or was it the opposite? Yeah, there still is a, a stigma attached to it. Um, you know, I can think about my own personal experience. My mother-in-law would come round and perhaps we've done something to the garden or got a new kitchen and she'd always pat my husband on the back, you know, well done, you know, brilliant. Oh, it's brilliant. You're doing so well. She'd never consider that I had contributed in any way to it. And it's really, and if a woman does say, yeah, well, it's my hard work that's done that. We're, you know, it's often considered, you know, a bit uncouth and not the right thing to do. So there is this, this stigma that's associated with it. And if we bring it round to the workplace, there is often in this idea that women work for pin money not necessarily that they are really ambitious for their career and really their money holds the home together um, and, and one thing I sort of suggest is that if you're a boss you know consider that actually this woman who you're employing or even if you, your boss may be a woman but or you're employing women this senior woman actually they might be holding their family together income wise uh, their, their partner could be a stay at home uh, partner or they could not have a partner or they may have retired and and actually understanding that you know, things like the gender pay gap really matter because if you've got a, a man who's head of a household or um, financially or a female who's head of the household financially, you know, that woman could be bringing in 20% less mm. for absolutely no reason. Mm. Um, and that really does impact families um, and impact what someone can contribute and their productivity. So th- this stuff is quite important to be talking about. Because I think um, what I've realised is the gender pay gap isn't just a UK issue, no. it's a global issue yes and how do women within the workplace tackle that how do we break those barriers down because in some cases it can be seen uncouth to talk about salaries so there's all these different barriers before you actually start tackling it isn't there what can you say what's the right thing to do what what advice would you give I think one of the most wonderful things someone said what someone said to me is that when um when you are offered a salary um 
just don't never accept the first offer and understand that it's part of a game and often with men that's what they, how they see it they're really good at negotiating oh you've put an offer on the table uh, let's let's that's the beginning of the game of to and throw whereas women often they hear no and they and they think no means no mm-hmm. often men think oh no is a starting point for me to kind of negotiate and i think that's the first thing we need to get our heads round actually that um, there's a negotiating process to be had here. Uh, it might still end up that we're in the same place, but if we don't try, we don't get. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're the person who is offering a salary to a woman, understand that they might not understand that game. And so actually you might go in low because you think, well, they're going to try and barter me up, but they might not. And so actually to understand that from that perspective, offer a, offer the fair place they just might accept that from the beginning so I think it's two ways um as women we need to negotiate more and understand that's part of the process as someone who's offering a salary to a woman actually understand that they might not negotiate Mm. um and you might need to spell out that there's a negotiation process or understand there's going to be no negotiation so you could start a little bit higher and I think it's companies are now having to take responsibility, mm. aren't they, of the, yes. the, the gender pay gap. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's a, a change in um, society, maybe. So I think it's really interesting that you're telling people, women in particular, to start negotiating. Yes. And maybe not being aggressive, but being no. more forthright. Yeah, just, just asking. It's just asking. You don't have to be aggressive at all. But the fact is, if the words don't come out of your mouth, nothing is going to happen. We've moved strides forward. We've, you know, the world is a much better place. 50 years ago, if I got pregnant at work, I could be sacked. You know, mm. just don't come back. Um, 40 years ago, actually, a lot of women weren't even allowed to wear trousers in the workplace. You know, that was 20 years ago. Was I, wasn't 20 a, yeah, I, was, yeah. I wasn't allowed to wear trousers right. at work. My first job. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So things are moving forward. There are more women in senior roles I don't want to paint an awful picture but there's still work to be done and I think it's it takes both sides to do to do that I I read something recently there's a really good book um, called uh, Inclusive Leadership by a woman called Jennifer Brown and she was talking about man ambassadors men who are ambassadors for women so men who um, you know if you're around a table and a woman's not being able to get a word in edgeways might turn to you and might turn to that person and say did you have something to say on that or or uh, if, a, if a woman's not getting women are not getting into these in the rooms of power inviting them even as, a, as an observer into the room and there are great ambassadors or allies of women in the workplace but I think if you have are in some position of privilege whatever that means whether that's around your ethnicity or your gender or your social class to think how can I reach out and bring someone in who perhaps doesn't isn't afforded the same opportunities as myself I love the idea of that I love the idea of and I think there are like I've had some bosses that Mm. um have been fantastic Mm. you know just being really really supportive and I don't feel that they looked at me as a woman Mm. most of the time Mm. on the odd occasion maybe it did come into play but then I think also women can play on being a woman yes so I think there's there's two sides to that um so within payroll a lot of the senior positions do go to men 
Um, I don't know if you've seen that, Graham, in your dealings. So, again, I'm, I've been in payroll for, for three years working with ADP prior to that as a, as a marketer. Um, it's, a, it's a profession that has a really healthy gender balance to it. And so I've worked for women. I've had predominantly female teams that I've worked with. Um, and we have about a 60% female team in, in marketing on, on ADP across the right. international organization. Um, still not gender balanced at the leadership team level. And, and there's a number of reasons why businesses look at that. And um, as you've said, it's an evolution over a, a period of time. It's interesting, though, when you use the phrase ambassador, um, Jeff Phipps, who leads our UK business, um, is one of the most strongest advocates I know for, for women in the workplace, and he has a completely balanced leadership team. Um, so it is possible if you if you set the focus on it and you build towards it. Um, so I don't know specifically about payroll, mm-hmm. um, but it's interesting. You've talked about people falling into payroll and then staying there and loving what they do. And when you love what you do, it doesn't necessarily put you in a position to negotiate. It, it, does that make sense yeah, in terms yeah. of if you if you just love the work or you've fallen into the work, it's much harder to plan a career strategy and be assertive about your position in the role and the value to the organization. But global payroll projects are always a really interesting time because everything's on the table for discussion about how payroll will be managed, how the global operation will manage. So that brings a point of change Mm. where organizations are thinking differently. Mm. How do they approach it? How do they structure it? What roles do they need inside their organization? Who should fill those roles? So I'd, I'd be interested to understand what what have you seen work for, for individuals at periods of, of change inside their organization where they've been able to change how they're perceived or change their role inside the organization through a period of change? Right. Well, I think specifically what happens, and I, I loved how you talked about the fact that people fall into payroll and they love their job. And the challenge uh, is that when you love your work, you keep your head down and you get on with it. Um, instead of sometimes doing a bit more of that personal branding and PR and saying, gosh, you know, look at the fantastic feedback I've had. You know, this is what I'm actually, this is my sweet spot. This is where I think I bring a difference and an impact to the organization. And you expect people to know. You expect people just to realize it and acknowledge it. And I think part of anyone's role in any organization now is to be a bit of an entrepreneur. So be entrepreneurial inside your organization and think about yourself like a bit of a business. And so with a business, you have to have a bit of PR. You have to have a bit of marketing. You have to get the job done to a good quality as well. So that idea, when I I see people accelerating and moving forward, is that they do a fantastic job but they also spend a bit of their a bit of their time articulating what that fantastic job is and the impact that it makes and also look beyond their organization so actually it's not just about me in in my company it's about payroll sector how can I contribute to it? How can I write articles or speak about it or, or demonstrate the difference that I make within it or, or understand how technology affects it? So looking beyond where you are and looking up and out is really key. But as organizations looking to get into global markets and expand, your leadership team really does need to reflect your audience. If you want to reach audiences um, and really relate to them, you really need to understand them. And there's so many organizations who are making some big mistakes at the moment. You see them, um, uh, big organizations. Um, I 
can't remember which soap powder company it was, but they had a, um, a, an advert where, uh, they put a black man into a washing machine and he came out white. Oh you know, my God. they were saying, you know, this is we're cleaning, you know, um, that's just one example, you know, missing the mark on actually what audiences really want to see. And there was a boycott at Christmas time of some newspapers and the adverts that they were promoting and the kind of organizations they were promoting. Customers now really are looking for good corporate social responsibility, a good understanding of diversity and inclusion. And if you don't have the right people in your senior leadership team, you could make mistakes. And and it's and it's not because people deliberately make mistakes. It's more because you you just don't look at it in that way. You know, how I might as a black woman see things, you you might see something different as a, a white male or even as a white woman. And if you don't have that diversity, you can alienate some audiences. And and really we don't want to alienate anyone. It's increasingly competitive. Um, we want to make sure that our message is as inclusive as possible so that we have the widest audience possible. So I, I think you know you do miss a trick in terms of creativity, innovation, but also reaching the right audiences if you don't have that diversity at board level. And actually you have to be intentional about it. The person you spoke about, um, was it Jeff? Jeff. Yep. Um, you know, he's being intentional about his board. Um, you can't wait for it to happen. Because we're all biased, mm. you know, me, you, all of us, we have a bias. If, if you give me um, a lineup of people, I'm, I've done the, the bias test on myself. I'll recruit all women. I'd love it to be surrounded by a group of women, but that wouldn't be the best for my organization. So I have to be, I'd have to be intentional about my board to make sure that I get some men there so that I don't miss something out and miss a trick in terms of how I think about my audiences. So, so this is, uh, this is what we need to do. I think the bias thing's really interesting. Mm. Um, I helped put a program together for an organization and I noticed last year they had no women, zero women on, on the whole panel and it made me a bit angry. So I just like I don't see myself as a feminist, but I just think there's so many women in our industry that have got a story that are really good and that could present fantastically. So why wasn't there just one woman on the panel? So they, um, I was then asked to put this panel together, um, and then I had the opposite problem because I know all these brilliant women, yeah. and then also know brilliant men. But in my mind, I was like, oh my god, she'd be good, she'd be good, she'd be good. And I was like, oh my god, I need more men. So you, you you're right. You yes. do end up going the other way Absolutely. and it's actually getting that balance right and it's almost like can you get to the point where I don't think this would ever happen but where you just look at somebody mm. does that make sense yes. would we ever get to that point where we just look at somebody and yeah. just that's a person doesn't matter where they come from who they are in terms of male you know female and I think I think the first step is actually being conscious of the bias so um you know we've rolled out a program internally in adp around unconscious bias training because you don't know your own biases until you surface them and then once you've surfaced them you can start to think about how you manage them and how you think about the recruitment and the development process to give you that breadth of, of skill set in in your team um so that was an important first step i think mm. in terms of, of surfacing that and then we have other initiatives. Um, you mentioned breaking the, the glass ceiling. We have an initiative internally 
called Hashtag Break the Ceiling, which is really about surfacing the great work and advocating on behalf of those who perhaps wouldn't necessarily see it as, as part of their role to advocate. So our head of legal, um, Marcella, she's an incredibly busy woman, um, but we pull her out of her legal work and put her into environments and, and, and town halls where we're creating a visible role model inside the organization to help us um, break that ceiling and, and encourage others to, to step forward. And that's been running at town halls around the global organization. Yeah. And it is fascinating how different cultures internationally respond differently. We talk about unconscious bias and we're sitting here in London and there's there's one particular, you know, London landscape perhaps, and then there's a broader UK and then the broader European. So that mix of ethnicity and cultural inputs, particularly if you're doing something like a, a global payroll project, um, where you're handling some of the people's most sensitive information and data and, and how people think about collaborating and work together across countries and, and borders always throws out some interesting challenges mm. I think and when it was interesting when you said that people need to promote themselves so I've spoken quite a lot about that over the last few weeks and um, I had a global payroll director um, present for me and um, she was just talking about how she got to where she was and one of the key things she said was that you have to be interested in what you do you can't just expect things to be handed to you you need to um, you need to research you need to um, talk about yourself you need to publicize yourself and I've talked about more and more about how do we make payroll sexy and I hate that word payroll sexy but anyway and how do we do it and again it's about marketing the department marketing the individuals within it so I think maybe um, I don't think payroll people are necessarily um, used to talking about themselves but somehow maybe we need to as a GPA try to promote or teach people how to promote themselves and one of the uh, best women I've known or not best maybe that's not the right word one of the women that stands out to me she was a global payroll director and she's a character everyone knew her as a character she was to the point of maybe slightly extreme but everyone knew her and she was not afraid to go to her boss and just say I've saved you a million pounds in fines if it was a broker you'd give them a bonus so what are you going to give me and like how many people actually do that and she went into every role looking for somebody to take her job so that was her she went into a role she was forthright she uh, didn't take any you know falls um, but she was also planning who's going to take her role whether it's a man or a woman and looking at the best person and I, th- and I think we just need a few more people like that yes. in the world yeah. um, to actually say I'm only going to be here for three years mm. so you're going to take my job and I'm going to train you and um, I don't hear that very often no. among the community and I don't know do you hear that outside the payroll community or yeah I don't think you do I think um a couple of things you've said there and there's so much we're covering really (laughs) but um there's something about passion isn't there so to me whatever someone's passionate about becomes interesting so if you if you're excited and passionate about your work the, the work itself doesn't have to be you know I could be a biscuit maker or something like that but if I love biscuit making and I love the way that the biscuits come together if you start talking to me about it I can become excited by it I mean if we think about something like the British Bake Off, we're excited about people baking cakes. <laughs> it's not really um, radical, is it? So, so I think sometimes people can get caught up of what am I talking about? Doesn't really matter. It's the fact that you are passionate and, and excited. But in terms of what you're, what I'm hearing is the woman you are talking about felt comfortable to be authentic. She was just herself unapologetically and it was like, take me or leave me. Now, I don't know what her nationality was. She wasn't American. Irish. She was Irish. Fabulous. Okay. I, I think that often 
women specifically and people from uh, ethnic backgrounds actually are all about fitting in and conforming and so there's some unlearning to do to just say yeah this is me and actually I come this is how I come and this is what I do Um, and that's the challenge I think the more that all of us are able to step into this is who I am, this is what I bring, the full, fullness of me, um, and organisations allow us to be like that, the more I think that we'll all be more successful in the workplace. The challenge is if you step into being authentic like that woman did and then she got sacked, if she went in and said, you know, this is me, I've saved you a million, and they said, well, we don't like your attitude, we're going to put you on a performance review or we're going to get you out, then you don't have permission to be like that. And what I'm guessing for her is that she tried it and it worked. And so she continued. But if some, what often happens for people is they try it the first time, it, it backfires a bit, and then they recoil into this shell and their organisation doesn't get the best productivity out of them, but they're kind of safe trundling along. Um, and so it's very important in organizations for you to think about how your reaction to your colleagues, uh, you know, whether they're reporting to you or more senior than you or your peers, shapes how they continue to behave in the workplace. And, and that's, the, that's the danger because there's often a misinterpretation. You know, someone's being too aggressive or they're too assertive or they think they're the bee's knees and, um, and people then kind of constrain them. And as a result, they can't flourish in the way that they should. So what, can you break that down into perhaps three tips for an organization to, to create a, a, an environment that welcomes the whole person, the whole individual? How, how should an organization start thinking about that and tackling that? Do you know the biggest skill is listening? Uh, the most important thing I think to do is listen to other people without immediately dismissing. So uh, if someone comes uh, to speak to you or they have a different point of view in a meeting and that, that that might be because they have a different background, a different outlook or they just actually think differently because, you know, in terms of uh, difference, di- con- difference of thought is just as important as all of the other diversity areas. It's just to listen without actually commenting and take it away and think about it because quite often people are saying things that you you might not agree with but they they won't be the only person with that point of view and it's so easy to surround yourself by people who just say yes yes I agree with you uh, chronic niceness that's what brings organizations down there are people in that room who might disagree but they're not actually letting you know um, and that their point of view might be the important thing so I think um, one of the things is to really listen to other other points of view. The other is, I think I, I would seek out um, people who are different to you and think differently to you. Um, one of the exercises that I do, and it might have been done on some of the programs that you've uh, encountered, is actually ask people to write down not family and fr- not family and friends, but the people in your network. Um, write down the ten closest people to you in your network. You know. Um, and break down um, their diversity dimensions in terms of gender, could be religion, it could be um, uh, education, and just see how diverse is that group. And if it's not particularly diverse, or what the gaps are, how could I seek out some different perspectives? Um, And in terms of authenticity, I would also just encourage people to talk about things outside of work. 
to encourage them to talk about the things that are important to them that maybe aren't work related and that could be faith it could be sports it could be um family but encourage them to bring more of themselves into the workplace so that you can really connect because there's always more that is the same than is different about us um and sometimes it takes those conversations to bring the connection um so on the ethnicity side yes. <laughs> um do you think there's still barriers within the workplace there's a huge amount to do absolutely huge amount to do and organizations are coming to me a lot around this at the moment because um they're setting targets um and they're not being then they're finding it really difficult to reach those targets um and, and there's a sense within organizations that often the black and minority ethnic staff they're not at that level to go straight into leadership so it's about equipping them to get into leadership but even an organization that I was working with recently said we've got a sponsorship program so we're giving our BAME staff sponsoring but then even with that then perhaps not having the confidence to take the next level to do the actions that are being discussed um, and that's about years and years of of people thinking well if I live up, lift my head above the parapet it might get cut off um, uh, and do people do I trust enough that people really want me to be in these roles um, and that sense of imposter syndrome that that sense of actually I'm surrounded by people who don't necessarily look like me or have the same background as me and if I and maybe I need to work much harder than them but if I do let them know I'm really here they're going to say oh no we've made a mistake <laughs> we didn't really mean mean it to be you you need to be out so so all of that so there's a huge amount of work to be done um in this area actually um and that understanding that you know the work isn't done if we get lots of women on boards but they're all white women for example the work hasn't really been done because there's a huge diversity in terms of sexual orientation disability ethnicity etc to have a full representative representation of women let alone then think about the level of, of black minority ethnic staff as well a, a long time ago um about 15 years ago i worked for um the local council mm-hmm. county council for about a year which was a massive learning curve for me because i learned what fudging was and all sorts of things <laughs> but one of the key things i noticed actually when you went into the restaurant at lunchtime was the diversity there Mm. and I've never seen it again Mm. you know even when we have conferences or you know going to um, big events you don't see as much diversity and I was like no matter what you think of like you know what was going on in the the council the diversity there was people with disabilities color Mm. um, sexual orientation Mm. all in one room Mm. and it's like so how how do we do how do we get to that in the corporate world yeah and there's something about saying you are you are welcome I think messages you know you talked earlier about uh, job adverts for example you know the messages if you put a go-getter or a ninja you know those sort that sort of language women immediately think that's not for me they're talking about a man you know so it's also it's the language but it's also um the messaging it's also what do people look like when I walk into a building uh, are they welcoming of me are people like me welcome here and there are there are lots of subtle things that sometimes tell you that perhaps you're not welcome um uh, and it's not just getting people in it's also then retaining them so if i am the only uh, black and minority ethnic person that you've employed but you have employed me how do you acknowledge that how might you say to me actually i, I recognize you're the only black member of staff here but we do really want you here uh, tell us what you need yeah actually being brave enough to 
have those kind of conversations I think is really important and I think companies would be scared to do that yeah so I think that's or some companies would be scared yeah. to do that so I think that would be it's good to hear that yes the encouragement yeah I think it's so important all of us I think find it difficult to have conversations about race I think people uh, think they're going to say the wrong thing offend someone I think we've got much better about gender but we're not so good about race and, and it is about saying I want to have this conversation I might make some mistakes in the things I might say but I'm coming at it from the right place and people will forgive you if they know that so yeah I think it's important and with regards to challenges one of the things that I've noticed um, which is a a huge challenge for women is when they become pregnant and they go on maternity leave and I think one of the stresses that they actually have is um, who's looking after my job am I going to have a job after you know afterwards will I be seen as a lesser person am I going to be seen as not capable of doing the job that I did before will I be up for a promotion so um do you have any experience with that or do you have any um uh, tips that you can give women that are in that position I think it's very challenging and it depends on the culture of your organization um I think if you if you're planning to go back to work do do the stay in touch days I think it's very important to show your organization that you really plan to come back and that you're really still committed so I think that's a key part of it I have been hearing of women being promoted while they're on maternity leave recently so there's some really good practice out there Um, but organizations and I don't know how it is in payroll um, but I imagine a lot of your work doesn't have to be done in the office Um, so organizations that practice flexible working I think are most successful at getting women back into the workplace effectively if if you've got if you're not practicing that and you've worked getting people to work really long hours and be present it can be really hard to go back um, because of all the childcare issues and everything else if you welcome women back with flexibility but not just women parents and your organization is flexible if it's not just about women because it, it isn't just about women who want flexibility actually millennials want, want flexibility men would love flexibility so if you can be an organization that recognizes that it's about outcomes uh, it's about what you deliver it's not about how many hours you spend just sitting in an office then I think um, uh, all, the organizations that do that are much more successful at not seeing women drop off after maternity and if you do appreciate that women and men can work part-time and do senior roles mm. it really can be done mm. um, it's you know why does a senior role only have to be full-time I, I don't understand it I don't understand you know I really don't understand why we've decided that so I, I think senior roles can be done part-time and really successfully and I think organizations that are t- tuning into that and understanding that I think they are going to retain their women and have the best colleagues possible it's quite interesting when you think about the world of payroll and that flexibility because it, it shares a lot of its history with the finance function and the finance function has always had the month end close, the quarter close, the year close, which means, you know, and, and I have friends who work in the finance function and, and, you know, they're very relaxed for, for the first three weeks of the month and it's flexible. And then that last week of the month when everyone's trying to close the books, it's chaos sometimes in terms of, of how late they work. And this is not specific to where I work today, but to friends and family working in the, the business. Payroll can be quite similar because it has to be right every month. 
Um, and I think one of the things that organizations underestimate and the reason that a lot of those roles end up being permanent full-time is because there's an awful lot of compensating for systems and processes that people have outgrown. They haven't modernized the way of working to allow for flexible working. So the weight always falls on the shoulders of the, the people in the function to make it that last mile, that last day of the month, that last week of the quarter or whatever it is. So I think that's that's interesting that when an organization makes a commitment towards flexible working, it isn't just about its people. It has to be about the process and technology that enables that. Absolutely. Yeah, I know that's such a good point. Yeah, because yeah, I need to be able to do that. But also just hearing what you've said, perhaps there could be flexibility in in three weeks of the month and and not in the fourth. Flexibility doesn't have to mean I'm flexible all of the time, but it might mean there is some wriggle room at different points. There, There needs to be a lot more trust, really. Um, trust that if I'm working from home, I'm getting my job done um, uh, and trust that I will, you know, those people who have to do that work, if you gave them flexibility, they're committed typically. And so they will get it done. And if that means that the last week I work longer hours, they will. They're not going to say, well, that I'm flexible, so I don't do the work because ultimately they won't deliver. And I think if you trust people to deliver and know and trust them to deliver in the way that they want to um, and that works for them, I think you end up with better outcomes. And, and key to that is being able to see and measure the outcome. Yes. Because if you, can, if you can surface the outcome, you don't have to manage the detail of how the work gets done because you can see the progress in in the end result Um, and I think that's a that's a great challenge for organizations is how do you shift that thinking from from input to output Um, and how do you transform an organization to measure those outputs and to be able to say okay this is what I know the team will achieve this is what we're working towards how you get there is at the discretion of the of the team I heard recently um, a client of ours or a member um, she's just been told that she's not allowed to work from home anymore and so that was quite weird to hear that it's a huge organization global organization she has a a strong global role um and so she can she's allowed to work from well she's not allowed to work from home her boss is like you just work from home because of the pressures because as you as you've got a global role you're traveling a lot you you're spending most really a lot of time on the phone different time zones so that was quite a strange thing to actually hear but you're right the trust of her boss is saying you work from home yeah but the pressure she now has is that her team are expected to be in the office five days a week wow so she's now got to balance that but but generally I hear more flexible working now or you know flexible processes Um, and I, I agree with you I do think that should be the way forward Mm. I guess um, it depends if there's been perhaps a change of CEO I know when Yahoo had their I've forgotten her name is it Marissa Marissa Mayer Mayer. yeah she decided to bring everyone in she stopped uh, she stopped working from home Um, and I don't know if it's relaxed again I think sometimes people do it to consolidate and understand what people are actually doing Mm. before they can relax it again so it could be hopefully a short term uh, situation where they're trying to understand everyone role and then they release it again um when whereas sometimes uh, if you don't quite understand what's going on you might you know you you, you you're not quite sure you, you can't help people work in the best way and do you think some people just aren't 
the right fit to work from home. I think there is an element where I know I work from home and I maybe work too much from home yeah. because I can't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, and you'll you'll get random emails at stupid times at night. However, but then you'll some of my friends will say if I work from home, I just watch TV or right. I can't get motivated. <laughs> so I do you think there is that element, isn't there, of being the right fit and actually going do you know what I'm not the best person to work from home so I need to be in the office and where others I think get more done I think there is a preference for people but I also think that maybe we need to teach people the skills of working from home Mm -hmm. I I think there are some skills that are important that we've the same skills that we've learned in terms of how to work in an office environment we need to teach people how to work from home how to have a a space for it how to be disciplined around their time Um, and I think those skills are really important to teach and I think we're not taught them we just said just told work from home in the same way that actually if you put me in an open plan office I might need to learn some skills around how I manage my distractions and all of that sort of thing so I I think it's probably more around what are the disciplines and rules I need to have for myself around that instead of just throwing people in and expecting them to be able to swim in that in that way and it's the context of the the work you do so I have team members who will work from home when they're doing a lot of global collaboration. So they're actually going to spend their whole day on calls, interacting with people in other parts of the world. So their their network, their conversations are uh, with people who aren't physically in the office. And then there's other days when you see folks in the office and we're in a, a shared working space here today, an open plan. So people are sitting with their headphones on trying to concentrate on task-specific mm-hmm. work and they're not actually talking to anyone. Yeah. So there's no interaction. Yeah. So, so sometimes even those working from home are having more direct peer-to-peer yes. collaboration and discussion than those who are sitting in the workspace with their headphones on trying to block out the noise to focus on a task. Well, you've got the, the wonderful technology, haven't you, of things like Zoom, Skype, yes. WhatsApp, you yeah. know, so much more. Um, you can communicate so much more with people, can't mm-hmm. you? And I'm sure when I work from home, I'm mostly a nightmare because you can just Zoom somebody or, you know, send a WhatsApp. Yeah. And you're right, rather than sitting there with your headphones on. But again, I think it gets important to understand how you go about setting boundaries. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I love the work that I do. So like you, I will do it at, at different times. But I do adapt it around my life. So yesterday afternoon, I left work early because I was going to visit a, a college. My daughter's getting ready to go into sixth form. So and, and that college visit could only happen at that specific time. Mm. And I'm fortunate enough to work in an environment where flexibility is encouraged. Yeah. Um, and then at eight o'clock, I was on a, a conference call with the US. So it, it, it's about finding the work environment that suits you. How do you think with the people that you coach in the organizations that you work with, how do you help people diagnose and understand the kind of environment that they are going to thrive in and, and play to their strengths as individuals that, that really build, helps them build their role around the way they like to work and, and, and the work that they like to do. Do you, do you know one of the most important things I think everyone has to realise is that um, of course your org- organisation does dictate a certain amount of how you work but there's quite a lot within your control. And um, I always draw this diagram. It has a three circles. A, a small, smaller circle says control. The circle around that circle says influence. And the biggest one says out of your control. And what people often do is they focus on the things outside of their control. So they focus on, oh my goodness, um, you know, I do have to take that eight o'clock call, um, that 8 p.m. call, which means that maybe I'm not going to do my child's bedtime tonight. And these things really stress me out. 
but then they don't focus on what they actually have the power to do and so actually maybe on that day you have the power to start at 12 o'clock instead of starting at nine and so the, the biggest thing that I do is say to people what is in your power what is in your control to shape in the way that you work and often they don't think about that oh I've got all these meetings in my diary I've got to be here I've got to be there actually do you have to go to those meetings just because you're invited actually can you change that meeting or can you say you only do meetings on this day or can you say you don't do any meetings on a Friday oh I never thought about that and it's that sense of actually there there are some things out of our control and we don't have power to do anything about if the CEO says I need to meet you in Dubai next Thursday you, you probably have to do that but actually there's quite a lot within your own power and actually starting to focus on what is within your power um, makes you feel much more in control and happy about what you want but it actually makes you stop and think about actually how you want to work and understand that you do have um, some flexibility within that in terms of how what you say yes to what you say no to and the way in which you work um, and also maybe set some rules around it and one of the things that I did a few years ago was I get invited to do a lot of speaking engagements in the evening. And I realized if I do more than two, I'm just a grumpy person. If I'm out more than two nights a week, I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I haven't seen my daughter enough. Um, you know, I'm actually really exhausted. I need my bedtime. <laughs> I'm an old, I feel like an old woman. So, um, so I just set this criteria. I don't do more than two evening engagements a week. And I just tell people if they, if they ask me, oh, my diet, is full. I do two maximum of two a week and I've got my two. No one ever argues with me. And you can set those rules for yourself, um, uh, particularly for out of work things. So uh, actually, what are the rules I want to live my life by and how much happier you'll feel if you if you are able to do so. So that, that's what I would encourage people to do. Take a bit of control, empower yourself around those things that you can do something about. And the things you can't, let them go. If you spend all of your time thinking about those things you're just going to be frustrated and unhappy yeah it's great I love that idea of, of the three circles thank you for listening to part one of our podcast with Jenny Garrett we've um, tackled a lot of issues including gender pay gap um, the pressures of being a female breadwinner encouraging men to be man ambassadors um, and also how to market ourselves um, and our departments um, please join us for part two where Jenny will be discussing um, where her career started where she has got to now and the challenges she faces and also how do we actually talk about that uncomfortable subject of money um, money with our partners and how do we encourage the conversations to discuss it and also um, we'll be discussing breaking gender stereotypes and wellness within the workplace this podcast is made possible by adp global payroll giving you the confidence and transparency to transform global payroll into an engine for growth begin your journey at adp.com forward slash worldwide and connect with your local global expert.